Yes, I'm ready. Welcome to Short Ends Podcast. Okay, Peter Hoshek, nice of you to sit down and talk to me. Great to, to talk to you again. Thanks for inviting me. Thanks for the offer. It's, uh, it's great to hear you. Um, after how long have we haven't seen each other? Maybe nine years? Maybe eight or nine years. Yeah, yeah I think so. 2011. Yeah, back in Prague. <laughs> Yeah, and then I saw you in New York too. You visited in New York one ah, time. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. In 2012, that's true. Yeah, I remember. I remember the cockroaches in your apartment. It was crazy. <laughs> Great, yeah, good memories. <laughs> yeah, these kind of things we don't have in Europe, so it kind of sticks into my into my memory. Well, luckily, I don't live there anymore, so there are now uh, no cockroaches. Yeah, you moved to the countryside, right? Or yeah, now I'm in upstate New York. Nice. So, Peter, I wanted to get right into uh, your gallery. Um, can you tell me a little bit about Hoshe Contemporary? So, um, I think it all started actually with the trip to New York, uh, which I did uh, by the invitation by the uh, by one gallery in Prague, Gallery Futura, and uh, by the Czech Center in New York. And uh, it was pretty much connected to this exhibition, which we did uh, with uh, Louise. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was it was an exhibition which was uh, about about acculturation, about certain phenomena in uh, in American culture in Eastern Europe and so on. And um, it was very mixed, but the main topic was uh, acculturation. And uh, yeah, basically we were putting together this exhibition in the gallery and uh, it was back in the days in Prague in 2012. And an offer came uh, to me from a director of this gallery if we would like to take over a smaller space in a building. The main space was roughly 300 meters square and the smaller space was roughly 130 meters square. So like this space was quite big. If you consider the fact that it was the first gallery which, uh, which we confounded with Louis. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, since the start, it was kind of like a like a partner project. But uh, when we moved to New York, uh, not not to New York, when we moved to Berlin in 2014, I basically closed it and uh, I reopened my gallery in Berlin. This time uh, under my own name, uh, Jose Contemporary. Uh, in 2016 so it was uh, back in 2016 Uh, I think it was in summer 2016 and I was quite lucky because I got a very nice space at a quite prestigious address in Berlin uh, at Rosa Luxemburg Straße which is um, which is a space which is in the center of the city and this space was kind of a classical white cube gallery with um, roughly 50 meters square wide walls big window to the street so anyone could see what was exhibited during day or even during the night and uh, that's uh, that's how i started um fortunately or unfortunately i think it's it's fortunately uh, i had to close the gallery um mainly because of the uh, quite high costs of the space uh, and uh, then I uh, basically get another space which was in the same district but um, it was quite clear from the moment I moved the gallery out of this space that I need to find a space which would be much bigger and which would also allow me to run an art uh, residency or artist in residency program because mm-hmm. I was more interested in the creative process or the development of the new artworks uh, in the um, cooperation with the artists, not just like bring some paintings inside the space and hang them on the wall and make an opening and invite some rich people. So yes. it was uh, it was more. Um, it was more um, inspired by this uh, this idea of you know turning the gallery into more creative space, not just an exhibition space. During this time, this, the first two locations, 
Um, yeah. How are you finding? How are you finding artists to exhibit? Well, there are artists everywhere, <laughs> so <laughs> you actually don't have to look for them. Uh, you actually have to keep saying no to so many people. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. Uh, back in the days when when I didn't have that much um, that much contact, I basically work with people I know, friends or people I knew from school or people I met in Prague or in Berlin, or uh, people who were um who were coming to the gallery actually so mm-hmm. um it was in a sense uh, creating some kind of a community as well like artists coming to art openings we would talk and at some point we would make a show so the process was very um you know very fluid in this sense but mm-hmm. uh yeah, later, later, when the gallery got certain recognition, um, you know, you start to receive like portfolios of the artists, like they keep sending you to your email address. Hey, look at my work. Um, you know, what do you think about this? Uh, would you like to work with me? So uh, this is part of the selection process. Another part of the selection process is the open call. Uh, I usually do in uh, by the end of the year mm-hmm. and uh, based on the portfolios which are submitted through this open call uh, I select artists who will be who will be on display or who will do performances in the next season and then how does it work with the artists um, are they paying to use that space or is it is it just it's strictly commission based well, uh, I think uh, this question leads us back to the to the moving of the gallery to the boat, actually. Because, okay. Um, my idea was to get a space which would uh, have two apartments, an exhibition space, and ideally an office. And if you want such a space in Berlin, you would pay maybe four or five thousand euros a rent per month. So. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, in the neighborhood where it makes sense, if you go outside of Berlin or in the outskirts, it would be probably less. But um, I got an offer, or I would say one artist I work with, he's also an architect, his name is Gil Russ, and he came up to me uh, with an idea that uh, we take over a historic boat uh, in the in the historic harbor in Berlin in order to turn it into a gallery. It was advertised online uh, on this webpage, which is uh, for people who are looking for like a studios, mostly artists, architects, and uh, also um, dancers. And it was advertised for uh, 400 euros. Just to use the just to use the whole boat, and I was very impressed. I was like, "What is this? You can rent a whole boat for four hundred euros? Like, how how does this work? <laughs> like, it's it's there must be something tricky about this." Mm-hmm. So uh, what happened is that uh, I gather with Gil and uh, Linda, who is the director of my gallery, and uh, we went to visit. Uh, and it was a rainy, gloomy day, even though it was summer, 2017. And we came to the park near to the boat, and there was this like very, um, very uh, tiny lady, roughly 60, 70 years old, and uh, she was just there. And we were expecting like that there will be maybe 30, 40 other people interested in seeing the boat because if you have like such a cheap property in Berlin, you usually have to compete a lot. Mm-hmm. So we came there. Uh, we thought that it's some lady who is like there in the park, <laughs> just like, you know, some retired lady um, <laughs> going uh, to the park to, you know, have some fresh uh, air. But then we realized that she's actually a president of the sailing club and uh, she's the person we were supposed to meet in order to see the boat. So uh, we talked to her. Um, She was quite surprised that we are the only visitors. And then we came to the boat. And then um, the first impressions were 
very mixed i would say like uh, i personally was very amazed because the boat mm-hmm. is from 1910 and you know it's 60 meters long uh, i don't know how many feet it is but um probably like 180 feet long and uh, it's it's all transportation boat so you have like uh, this huge cargo space then you have uh, this like middle bridge which divides the boat into two parts and then you have a smaller cargo space and um, in order to enter the cargo space we had to use like a ladder to climb down and then you are in this like huge industrial space made from metal with uh, a wooden floor with this like um, iron rose wood which is uh, which is from a forest in Congo and oh, wow. apparently this type of wood is um, it almost disappeared it almost vanished from uh, from planet earth so apparently the wood is very expensive and it's very heavy it's like pink and if you throw a one plank inside the river it just like sinks so oh, it's wow. it's very very heavy so yeah we've been in this you know environment um truth is that there was a lot of trash and um, you know we kind of realized that the harbor is using this ship for um as a trash disposal so no one really took care of the ship for maybe 10 maybe 15 years so Mm -hmm. it was in very bad condition but the space was very impressive very amazing well, um, then we continued the tour through the boat and we came to the motor room where there is a motor from 1960, which could actually eventually turn the boat into, you know, a moving unit. Mm-hmm. And then there were also two sailors cabin, uh, so-called captain's cayute uh, and uh, matriosen cayute. And... They were completely devastated, completely devastated, very smelly. And there was Mm -hmm. a water leak everywhere. There was a lot of trash, a lot of uh, old stuff. Everything smelled like petrol. Um, So, you know, it's like if you come to something like from Second World War, like uh, nothing (laughs) changed. And it was it was kind of scary and at the same time romantic. But, um, you know, if you see the if you see the disposition and if you imagine how it would look like when it's completely clean out out of all this trash and uh, polished a little bit, um, I could see completely the potential and, uh, you know, two apartments in the center of Berlin, even if it's like in a very bad condition. Um, small investment could be done and then it could be turned into what we needed. So yeah. even though the rent was quite low, um, I knew immediately that like a very major investment would be needed. First of all, there was not even electricity. So, you know, you cannot use any tools, you cannot heat up the space, you cannot turn on the light and so on. So there was a lot, a lot, a lot of work. But, you know, I was, it was 2017, I was not, I was not even 30, so I was very enthusiastic and, you know, we didn't have the space anymore at Rosa Lutzenburgstrasse, so I was like, okay, we just take it and do whatever happens, you know, we just like solve, solve everything within the time. What was the renovation process like? Well, um... First of all, we have to remove all the trash. Uh, There was 27 cubic meters of trash, which was like a couple trucks. (laughs) It was a lot. Um, Yeah, we were were just like, or mostly me, uh, because Linda, Linda is very passionate and Linda is very great creator and writer, but you know, she's maybe like 160 centimeters tall and uh, <laughs> she cannot really carry that heavy stuff as I could. So it mm-hmm. was it was mostly me uh, removing stuff. Then we needed to implement the staircase just to make the, the cargo space um, accessible. Yeah. And uh, then we set up a bar just to serve drinks. And uh, we did like the 
the electricity connections because the first exhibition which was uh, during the berlin uh, gallery weekend in uh, 2017 mm -hmm. which is like the last week of april it was uh it was two artists one uh michael klingner and uh he's using um he's mostly producing a design lights or design um objects which could illuminate the space so we needed electricity that was like uh, most clear mm -hmm. so we started with that the staircase the electricity and slowly we were renovating uh, the first apartment uh, because it was kind of necessary to have like a warm place to uh, to sit down or just to have an office mm -hmm. and that was like the first three or four months and um in september 2017 uh no in september 2018 actually i i was wrong i wanted to say that the first exhibition was in 2018 in 2017 we got into the contact but it actually took eight months to negotiate the contract with the harbor so okay. the first opening was actually in uh, in spring 2018 mm, what was that that first opening like was there a good turnout yeah it was good like we we make it like big you know like we hire a pr agency we call it like a grand opening you know like we did a lot of promotion a lot of people share it like we were talking to a lot of people about this there were uh there were like some articles in the newspapers there was like um something in the regional radio uh at berlin brandenburg Rundfunk. And uh, it's uh, it was a big success. We had maybe 500, 550 people coming. Wow, it's amazing. And yeah, my parents came to the opening. Some friends came even from uh, Prague. And uh, a lot of people come, a lot. And <laughs> uh, yeah, it was the start. <laughs> of the, the artists that you've shown there, are there any ones, any exhibitions in particular that stand out to you? Like from the from the last two years, like from the yeah, whole, over the last yeah, yeah, over the last couple of years. I think uh, there are few. Like um, I think the most uh, the most strong was actually well, maybe I should say on the start that um, I'm not really doing a classical art openings with like painters or sculptors just putting their their. Um, their works in the space or hanging them on the wall because maybe if you have a look in the structure of the boat you cannot actually really hang anything on the wall so we use uh, the space mostly for art performances or mm -hmm. for site-specific um, installations or also for sounds installations so it's kind of uh, this particular program we do um, I think there were, I think I will mention three, which were most impressive. Um, I think for sure the first uh, opening was very special, like the one with uh, the lights of Michael Klingner and yeah. also with uh, a live performance which was organized by Gunhildur Haugsdottir, who is, um, who is an Icelandic performance artist. And she's based in Berlin uh, last years. And she's a really, really, really great artist. I love her work. She works a lot with like um, emotional sides of people. And uh, like her last work, which she presented this year during the summer, was a performance called uh, she, will she Will Die by Reality. And okay. it was about her uh, her previous lovers. So... It was kind of like a list of um, most important lovers in her life. And it was kind of like a work where she, through doing this work or through writing and performing this work, she kind of get over all these men from the past. Mm. So she's, yeah, she's yeah, really... She's really, really great artist, and uh, yeah, she made a performance for the uh, for the for the opening uh, ceremony for the grand opening, which was on twenty seventh April two thousand eighteen, and it was a work called uh, Pendulum Choir slash Solidarity. So um, 
it's kind of like a simple structure of calls and response. She worked with the with the choir, and uh, yeah, there were there were like four parts of the performance. In one part, there would be like the main uh, performer who would say, let's say, um, capitalism, and then the choir would say the start of capitalism and then with the lower voice the end of capitalism and then it there would be like a couple very strong words of relationship and um so on and uh yeah so it was the it was the opening night it was very very intense like mostly I don't even remember who was there and then people were talking to me on streets and they were like, oh, hey, it was such a nice opening. I was like, I don't remember seeing you there. And they, <laughs> they would be like, oh, yeah, 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 we say hello. And yeah, I, I just didn't remember. But if you meet like 500 people in one night, it's it's really, really not possible to remember everybody. So yeah, it sounds yeah. very successful. Yeah, so the first one for sure. Then we had like a couple other openings that year with uh, some Czech artists. Uh, one performer from uh, from uh, Brazil, Tulio Rosa, or one artist from Moldova, Alexander Rurevsky. And uh, we had a lot of concerts. Like uh, there were a lot of quite interesting concerts, like with um, improvised and experimental music in the season of 2018 and for last year 2019 definitely the work of uh, Ivana Ivkovic she's a um, Serbian performer I actually um, I actually meet her in New York in 2012 one once I was there mm -hmm. and uh, yeah eight years later we uh, I invite her to Berlin and uh, she created this piece called I only want to love me with uh, 14 uh, non-performers, mostly guys from Berlin clubs or Berlin um, Berlin nightlife, mm -hmm. and uh, yeah, it's very beautiful work. Uh, we also did like a lot of Polaroid uh, pictures from this performance, so yeah, yep. they could be checked online. And uh, yeah, it was a it was actually the only uh opening or performance work which i hosted where actually people were crying so wow. <laughs> it was it was very very strong so yeah i would maybe mention these two when you're finding artists to exhibit what do you look for in their work well i think uh, there are mainly three criterias um one of one of the like they are like you know, you have two ways to look at it. Like uh, the formal aspect of the work, is it gonna fit the boat or is it not going to fit the boat? So we 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 have to think about it a lot because if we have a, let's say someone who is working with lithography or with paper, we cannot really exhibit these kind of works in the boat because it's a bit humid in the, mm. in the space. You're on the river the space basically has the outdoor temperature so during the summer it's extremely warm inside and during the summer it's extremely cold so yeah we mostly look or i mostly look for performance artists who are somehow working um, with topics like um, you know the the politics of today somehow the um, you know what what is like very important for me is the the criticism of something in our society let's say why do we why do we do things the way we are doing you know like why do we have certain governments why what are the governments doing wrong and so on so this is for instance the the case of uh, some performance artists um but I also work a lot with the the notion of queerness, the, mm -hmm. the the queerness and kind of like inclusion. Like in this season, we would like to have uh, maybe more queer artists, more transgender performers. Uh, we will have some bondage performances. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm trying to implement kind of like a wider wider 
wider possibilities in the in the program and of course then the artists we work with for a long time like for instance uh, Gunhildur she's she's really really good and I I love to see like you know the development of her work because for me if I make like one show with an artist and then um, it I see that the work is strong or the, the person is really 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 passionate about what they are doing it's much more fun to work with them again because then you know them already and then you work on more projects and you know sometimes it becomes even a very strong friendship <laughs> i love what you said also about the boat um how in the summers it's very hot in the winter it can be cold and things like that i love that the space um directly affects your interpretation of the art in that way that the space is so present in you know the as a uh, it's really a living gallery in that way it has a very strong persona a very strong spirit you know like you cannot just like put uh you know a white column there and place something on the top of it you know the boat will not accept it because it's it's very it's very rough it's very raw in a way, but, you know, artists actually love to work with this kind of space because it, mm -hmm. it's so unique. It's so different to white cubes. It's so different to uh, spaces which are on the ground or it's even very different to other industrial spaces like old factories or, um, you know, recently there is like um, in Europe uh, quite a trend that galleries in 70s 80s they were moving into the spaces of old factories which didn't produce anything anymore and now mm -hmm. the galleries are moving into the office buildings where you don't have the offices anymore because they don't have um, you know the companies don't like these office buildings anymore so the galleries goes in so it's yeah, very yeah. it's it's very very different to anything what you can have on the ground yeah absolutely where is the boat dock now? Is it always in Berlin? Uh, that's a very cool question. Uh, we can actually sail around Europe uh, as far as uh, you have a crew of eight people and wow. a captain with the, with the license. Uh, we can actually reach different cities in Europe. Uh, for instance, Prague, where I'm from, or uh, Dresden or Magdeburg, Lübeck in Germany. And you can actually even go... If I'm not mistaken, even to France, wow. and uh, but uh, we are staying in Berlin. Like so far, we did like three small trips. Uh, it was mostly to uh, to move the boat to the dockyards in uh, in Spandau, which is um, which is like it's still part of Berlin, but it's kind of like in the uh, northwest outskirts of Berlin, mm -hmm. and. Uh, yeah, the boat was taken out, it was painted, they checked the thickness of the metal because if you if you have some damages of the boat on, in, in the bottom part, uh, they have to uh, they have to restore it. So we did like one trip there, one trip back. And also we had to leave our uh, current position, which is like a south peak of uh, Museum Island in the center of Berlin. Mm -hmm. We have to keep, uh, we have to leave for a couple of months because the uh, the water authority or the river authority were searching for bombs from second world war and oh, wow. they actually found a couple bombs in the area where uh, where my boat is anchored and <laughs> they actually find even another boat which was synced there so it was quite funny wow. <laughs> it would be an inter inter interesting final installation if your boat blew up <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe we do it like at the end. <laughs> at the end yeah, of the exactly. day. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, despite the boat being docked in Berlin, um, why in particular is Berlin a good place to have a gallery or to do art um, versus a city like Prague? I think Berlin was the place to be since the fall of the Berlin Wall. That's, mm. uh, that's I think, very very clear in the art world or in the narrative of um, of the you know the art uh, community worldwide because it was very it was always very creative like the western 
part even during the you know the cold war was very creative uh, because people in west berlin didn't have to join the army and they didn't have to pay taxes so it basically mm. attracted a lot of people who were creative because the life expenses were lower and mm -hmm. uh, also a lot of artists or also a lot of gay men who didn't want to join the army so it was quite creative already during the cold war and when the wall fell, um, you had so much of empty properties in the so-called East Berlin. And mm -hmm. a lot of people just moved to the city. You have so many spaces. You could just like have 100 meter square studio for almost no price. And uh, yeah, it attracted a lot of a lot of creative people. And I think another another part of it is that Berlin was always very left-wing like uh, mm -hmm. even during the Nazi period or before Hitler raised the power um, the communists were very very strong in the city like the the socialist or social movement was always always very strong in in Berlin this also gives you some kind of a good environment for inclusivity or for for creativity yeah Yes, it has that history and everything. Yeah. And what is what's happening in the Berlin Berlin art scene now? I think uh, Berlin last year was somehow on the on a crossroad in a way because um, you know the the rents are going up. Uh, the city is less attractive for creative people, and mm -hmm. um, you have way too many galleries to survive in the very tough um, competition of art market and also you know you have so much of these tourists who are coming to Berlin just to like you know drink and, and do nothing and yeah. uh, it's 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 becoming quite strange and of course um, also with the with the with the development of the city with because the city is slowly taken over by the real estate developers a lot of creative spaces are closing like um a nightclubs or um people or 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 places where people go to party some galleries is to close because of too high rents so it was a bit problematic and there was also this um this research which was made by uh, the by the senate of berlin and they basically mm -hmm. interviewed um all the gallery owners in berlin and they asked a couple questions and one of the questions was, uh, if you would be deciding today, would you open the gallery again in Berlin? And what was quite shocking was that 84%, 84% of the gallery owners said that they would never open a gallery again in Berlin. Wow. So it's, uh, it's, it, it somehow says something about what's going on. When I was in Berlin, one of the, the spaces that stood out to me um, I'm gonna probably pronounce this wrong, but the Tacheles House. Tacheles, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. What, what happened with that? Because I know it was kind of a condemned building that would that these artists were residing in. I guess you were there in probably around 2011, right? Yeah, that would be 2011. Yeah. I remember I, my first time I was in Berlin was in 2010. It was back in the days when I still studied um, art history in Prague and. We went there with a couple friends, mm -hmm. and uh, I remember that Tacheles was open back in the days. But when I moved to Berlin uh, by the end of the year 2014, Tacheles was already closed. Oh, and wow. uh, recently, they completely cleaned up the huge empty lot around Tacheles, and there is a new development coming up. So it's probably going to be a mixture between. Flats, apartments, hotels, maybe a gallery, maybe something else. But yeah, it's um, the lot has quite high value for um, for the developers because it's right in the center of Berlin. Oranienburgerstrasse is quite popular. There's the synagogue. It's like um, also a hip neighborhood. So 
Yeah, mm-hmm. Tacheles is closed. That's well, yeah. that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, such a cool space when I visited it. It was uh, you were able to walk inside, and um, artists had moved into all of these old apartments, and mm-hmm. uh, you know we're doing their work and everything, and just aesthetically from you know the ceiling to the floor. On every on every level was you know covered with the paint and art and graffiti and all of that so it was really a you know interesting space to, to see at the time yeah yeah this is like the 90s Berlin like this is how Berlin used to look like in 90s and that's what people were so attracted to you know like you just take out the radio on the street and you could start a party you just invade a building and <laughs> you just uh, you just go to the municipality and tell them hey we are living here could we could you give us a contract they would give you a contract for unlimited contracts for a ridiculous price because they would be happy that someone is moving into a building which is falling apart you know yeah. uh, but there is actually um there is actually a good thing going on in Berlin at the moment, and mm-hmm. uh, that's the rent regulation law, which will be, which is already part of the part of the you know it was it was accepted by the city councilor uh, or city council or senate mm-hmm. of Berlin, and from first March two thousand twenty. Every single um, contract uh, between the owner of the apartment and uh, and the tenants would probably need to be reviewed because there was put a limit on a price which could be charged by the owners uh, of the apartments um, to the tenant. So if I'm not mistaken, the, the highest you can ask for is actually 10 euros per meter square. So um, I read that hundreds or maybe even thousands of contracts which have to be cancelled or reviewed or will go to the court and all these tenants will probably win all those cases. And um, yeah, the rents are basically decreasing in Berlin at the moment, which is quite nice to see. I mean, if you are the owner of the apartment, you are probably very unhappy. But uh, in in Berlin, a majority of the population is living in the, um, in the rental uh, rented apartment. So I think for the majority of the society, for majority of people in Berlin, it it's it's going to be great because. Um, yeah, the cost of living were going really, really high. So mm-hmm. this is this is it's kind of like a lot of people say it's like a socialist experiment, um, but at the same time, you know, it's like a basic human right to have like a shelter. So I think it's a great thing. Yeah, in light of all that, do you see the art market leaving Berlin with prices where they are now? Um, or do you think that it will stay there with the, this regulation? Um, what do you mean art market or? Well, like the, right now, like you said, there are so many galleries in Berlin, um, but people are being priced out uh, yeah. because the cost of living is so high. Is there another place that you see, another city um, that you see the art market or the, the art scene uh, moving to? Or do you think that these regulations will help to keep it in Berlin? I think this might help, uh, but on the on the contrary, this is uh, just regarding the residential houses, apartments, oh, okay. mm-hmm. maybe studios. But uh, for gallerists, it's not. Uh, it it doesn't really uh, change anything on the commercial spaces or on the spaces which are like on the ground levels of the buildings which are mostly the places where the art galleries are located so mm-hmm. yeah i don't think it's it's going to help that much to the gallerists but uh yeah i think there is there is there is like a huge difference you know like between quality and a quantity you know like sometimes i think that there are way too many art galleries in berlin you know, like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. maybe it's a good thing that some of them will close, you know, but yeah, uh, it's, uh, at the same time, it's a place. I mean, you have a lot of galleries which are purely commercial galleries focused on making profits on paintings. And then you have a lot of spaces which are, you know, more inclusive, more creative, which are not focused that much on the profit. And 
I believe uh, there will be always both of these. However, if some commercial galleries close, I don't actually care. Like, uh, it's good that they close, you know. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. With your gallery, I mean, obviously, it's uh, more on the artistic side, the inclusive side. Um, how do you fit into that? Are you an artist in your own right? Uh, I would describe myself more as a producer or a curator or recently we have this term uh, culture developer so mm-hmm. um, I don't create uh, like art pieces by myself I mean you have a lot of um, theories and art and a lot of art curators likes to describe the curatorial work as a creative process which is almost identical to the artistic creation but yes. I don't really see it that way like I see my role rather um, rather someone who is helping the artist to articulate and present their ideas mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that makes a lot of sense um, is there another city in Europe right now that is kind of second to Berlin or a city that artists are moving to um, to be able to do their creative work without the high cost of living I think there is one place uh, in Europe and uh, it's the capital of Belgium, Brussels. Mm-hmm. Because uh, Brussels is very hybrid city. Like um, we recently visited Brussels with all my team, with uh, Linda and also with Lee, who is, um, who is my assistant in the gallery. And mm-hmm. uh, we were interested in the arts in there. We were interested in um, maybe opening a space there and i was also interested in seeing if there would be a possibility to maybe open a second boat so i was also researching that and i talked to a lot of people um a lot of people told me that um what is interesting about brussels is that it's so international first of all it's Mm -hmm. a capital of europe so every single country in european union has some kind of um you know interest in this uh place like every country has like a center of culture in in this uh in the city and of course uh, you have a lot of money because this um this seat of european union also um it's it's like a job opportunity for so many people from bureaucracy for so many people from diplomacy so there is a lot of collectors, a lot of people who are like from the upper middle class who has money to invest every now and then into buying something. And what's mm-hmm. very important about Brussels is that there is very strong uh, dance scene, which is uh, okay. recently also connected to the performance scene. So mm-hmm. it's it's like these things are very good. If you really think about the size of Brussels, it's very compact, it's quite small, maybe one million inhabitants. And uh, yeah, it's it's well connected. It's, um, you know, Germany is close, uh, France is close, UK is close. It's, uh, it's quite well located. And uh, yeah, even New York Times wrote recently an article that uh, Brussels is like the hot destination for art for 2020 so i think there is something about brussels and i'm sure we will hear about brussels uh in connection to art more often yeah that's interesting um talking about cities like berlin and brussels how does that compare to the art scene where you're from in prague well um that's a very tough question art scene in prague um I still go to Prague quite often and uh, Mm -hmm. last five years I mostly live in Berlin but uh, I still have my apartment in in Prague so I I go there quite often and yeah sometimes I'm I'm talking to artists there sometimes I go to art openings but it's very small local art scene with not such a big importance but what I see is that a lot of people are not really satisfied with this fact that um, the art scene is so small, that uh, people are talking bad stuff about other people and so on. So mm-hmm. recently there were and there are a lot of artists who are 
who are traveling abroad, who are studying in different countries in Europe. Uh, for instance, I work with uh, Matthias Malac, who is a painter from Prague, and uh, he's now going to Iceland. So, yeah, I could see that uh, a lot of artists from Prague or in, from, from Czech Republic in general, I mean, Czech art scene is not just Prague. You have uh, Olomouc, which is a great um, festival of... Um, of uh, of contemporary art um, called PAF, or you mm-hmm. have uh, you have also uh, a quite good uh, art school in Ustí nad Labem, which is uh, not so far from Dresden. And uh, yeah, there are a lot of lot of creative people. But I would think that Prague would, at Prague in the Czech Republic would have a bigger art scene. Um, I mean, you know, historically. They have, you know, famous, uh, quite an art history there. You know, famous painters like uh, Mucha. Is that the correct pronunciation? Yeah, Alphonse Mucha was quite famous, but uh, it's it's a typical example of an artist who uh, had to leave uh, Czech Republic in order to become famous. So mm. um, he traveled to Paris, which was like the capital of art by the end of... Uh, uh 19th century and it was this like belle époque the the beautiful time mm-hmm, mm-hmm. of art nouveau and uh and uh this uh this last style which was like the kind of like a unique style uh where which kind of um uh how would you say that Basically, it was one of the last styles uh, which was executed or which were used uh, worldwide by artists in all kind of art form and architecture, painting, sculpting and so on. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, Mucha was Mucha became very famous in Paris. And then when he became famous, he, ca- he came back to, uh, to, to Czech Republic or Czechoslovakia mm-hmm. and yeah he was he was living a uh, very good life but um, yeah his his fame was pretty much connected to the fact that he left the country and he did something outside it just seems that the Czech Republic produces so many great artists even in film there's so many directors from the Czech Republic um, but like you said a lot of them do their work or gain notoriety in other countries, um, what is it about the Czech Republic that it seems that artists uh, aren't able to thrive there? Is it just politics? I think uh, Czech Republic was politically very unlucky uh, through maybe through 500 last years. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like uh, just just in uh, just in 20th century, we had um, if I if I count it uh, properly. We had maybe seven or eight different regimes. Like you have Austrian-Hungarian, then you have the Czechoslovakia Republic, then you have um, then you have like um, the the war state, the um, the protectorate of uh, Bohemia and Moravia. Then you had like uh, three years of um, kind of democracy, but it was already quite clear that um, the communists would take over the power. So you had the socialist Czechoslovakia. Then you had uh, the Czechoslovakia Federative Republic in early 90s. And now we have Czech Republic. So yeah, the, you know, for 100 years, seven different yeah. uh, forms of, uh, you know, uh, executive for seven different forms, like from kingdom to a democracy to a... Um, to a fascist regime, back to democracy, then communism, then kind of democracy, then today we have uh, so-called democracy with a qu- uh, question mark. Uh, but yeah, it, it's it's it was quite unlucky. So I think this was um, this was quite bad. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, mainly during communism during 60s 70s 80s um you had like um official artists and you have unofficial artists like the official artists were forced to just work uh in social realism which was the only allowed um style to to work in right right and then you have uh and these people were were well paid but uh, mm-hmm. today 
you see that you also had like a lot of artists who were kind of living on the edge and um, sometimes they got a support from uh, from West, uh, let's say from uh, from some collectors from West Germany or from Austria or from uh, from immigrants who were living abroad and they would be buying their work or um, from other institutions. But it was not that common. So, you know, creativity is always connected uh, to also to the living conditions. Um, so, yeah. Do you think that there's a future for the arts in Prague? I think so. Yeah, definitely. I'm. I mean, I could see that the newest generation of uh, artists in 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 uh, Czech Republic, uh, like mainly people who were born after 1990, like they travel, they uh, they see things in a wider perspective. Like uh, you have czech painters who are in collections all over europe uh, so yeah there is it's definitely becoming more and more interesting but there is always this thing uh, and i think it was always there that there is still like a long way <laughs> i think there is also another problem you know um the culture politics of czech republic uh, is mostly formed by people who are between 50 and 60 at the moment basically politicians who grew up during 70s and mm -hmm. during the 70s uh, people were kind of crippled by the communist system because uh, people had to learn in order to survive to lie because uh, you had to believe in the system when you were at work or at school or at the manifestation but at home, you know, you were laughing about it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So people developed this like, you know, double faces, uh, double face mentality or this double face standards, which, of course, fucked up their moral um, values, moral systems. And if you see those people influencing the culture politics of Czech Republic, like, uh, you know, through the main institutions like uh, National Gallery, National theater um it's it's quite strange and uh it's uh we really have to wait for these people to die uh to you know to have a little bit different moral standards in the politics and in the in this kind of environment so i think the the proper development of the art scene and the art um art handling and art presentation is pretty much connected to this fact we really have to wait maybe one more generation to have people in executive or in power who don't have this experience with communism yes that makes sense um i'd like to turn the conversation back to you and focus on you for a minute were you always interested in the arts how did this um fascination with art opening eventually opening a gallery where did this come from in your life um well um i think it's pretty much connected to the fact that my grandparents from my father's um site were they have kind of a small collection of art in their uh living room mm -hmm. and we were going there every saturday for a visit for a coffee or to have a cake and talk and uh if there was uh, good weather, we would play outside as well. And uh, yeah, they were they were collecting uh, local artists, most like landscapes or small portraits, nothing expensive, maybe 200, 300 euros per piece, mm -hmm. but quite nice things. And yeah, I was kind of like really enjoying this. And um, when I was 10 or 11 year old, we would start to go to Prague with my mom to explore the city because i was not born in prague i was born i would say maybe 40 minutes by car from prague in a smaller town mm -hmm. so yeah this fascination by the capital or by the art architecture we would be going to national galleries to see old baroque churches and so on so yeah i would say that i i mostly have to thank uh, my grandparents from my father's side and my mom uh, in 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 this kind of direction yeah 
and yeah when i was deciding what i want to study for the for my university degree um yeah i decided uh, art history even though i did not know anyone who studied art history from my surrounding but um I was really interested in just knowing more about uh, art in general or old art and back in the days I was mostly interested like in uh, gothic architecture or a 19th century painting but yeah within the studies and mainly with because of the trip to New York and uh, to exposure to artists from abroad I started to be interested a little bit more into the in in, in I, w- I was i became more interested in contemporary art from the kind of the beginning of your life you were interested in the side of collecting um rather than wanting to be an artist yourself there was one moment when i was seven and i won an art competition with the painting i did and uh yeah there there were like some creative moments of my life but um in a very very early stage like um yeah when i was 7 i won a competition it was a painting of um fireman mm-hmm. <laughs> and there was a, a there was a big fire and uh, a big splash of water so yeah <laughs> there was the, the, this was my creative uh field um yeah <laughs> Most people who are interested in the arts, you hear them talking about wanting to be an artist themselves or their work or whatever it is. Um, but with you from an early age, it seemed that you were interested in the curation side of things. I think it's pretty much connected to some kind of a fascination by the beauty, you know, like, um, you know, in order to be a creative person or an artist, you have to bo- be born that way. Like it's, I don't think it's something you can really learn. I mean, you can master your skills, but you need to have like a certain attitude and a certain set of mind. And I think people born this way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I was not born that way. And uh, I have to say that uh, sometimes I am feeling that I'm very lucky that I was not born that way if I see like some artists who are going from through so much struggle in their life and um, you know trying to use any single free moment they have for creation and in the rest of their days they have to work or because you know the bills needs to be paid and so on so yeah maybe maybe I'm lucky that I'm not an artist <laughs> Are there any uh, projects or that you're planning on working on, uh, whether of your own or with uh, Hosa Contemporary? Well, um, at the moment, I'm actually in Brazil. So the main reason for the trip is that uh, I'm preparing an exhibition, which will be called uh, Corpo Brasileiro, Brazilian Body. And it's a video art exhibition which will uh, be presented in Madrid next month Mm -hmm. and uh, in Berlin on my boat and also in Porto in Portugal in uh, in a smaller space called Malabodora. And uh, the exhibition is mostly the idea is to present the contemporary Brazilian art. Uh, which is uh, working uh, with the appearance of a human body and the video performance and also it's it's also connected to the poetry so so far i have 10 artists Uh, some of them i work with already for uh, quite some time for instance tulio rosa or uh, janaina carrer from brazil Uh, they are both based in madrid and then I have some artists who, uh, who I met here uh, in Brazil, for instance, Fabiana Faleiros, who was also participating in uh, Berlin Biennale two years ago. And uh, yeah, the trip is kind of a research trip. So I'm meeting people, making studio visits and uh, seeing works of artists. So this is like the project I'm working on at the moment. Uh, the boat will reopen in April. We usually work seasonally mm-hmm. from April until November. So it's a time when the weather is quite good in Berlin. And uh, yeah, the winter is closed 
and I like to travel over the winter because I really don't like the Central European winter and uh, yeah from 1st of April we will probably have around 40 concerts, 15 uh, art performances and probably 10 major art openings so a lot of things, a lot of things will happen this year and uh, at the same time uh, I was mentioning Brazos because you told me about what I think what is the next uh, hotspot for art in Europe and uh, we might be with Linda opening a new space in Brazos so yeah that's that's on the table at the moment wow that's amazing well I hope it works out for you that would be great if you could have a second location like that I think I'm crazy because <laughs> one boat is maybe enough, it's maybe more than enough, but <laughs> let, let's see how it goes, yeah. You have a, a fleet of boats all around the world. Um, I had one final question for you before we go. Um, Tell me. To you then, as a curator and as somebody who is creative in this way, why is art important to you? I mean, it. Uh, I think it keeps... Um, us as humans more human because uh, you know we live in 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 the world you have so many I mean it sounds really like a cliche but when I'm really like thinking what I'm thinking what I'm gonna say it's it's really sounds like cliche but yeah we really live in a very nasty crappy world and yeah I think art is something what could keep us happy and what what keeps you know um people more human what keeps people more more together you know and it's also something what you know i understand art more in a sense of creating a community so for instance the people i work with or the people who come to the gallery or the people who come to see the concerts like you see happy faces, you see people who are enjoying themselves, you see people who are learning new things, who are getting engaged into conversations, who are, um, who are, you know, happier than I would say in other environments. So I think it's, it's very important for us as people. And the second thing is that, um, artists and their creations or the creations I'm presenting in the gallery, I, I really believe in them and I'm presenting them because I believe that the ideas which were behind producing those works needs to be heard more loud. So I love to do this. Like I, I love to give space to ideas which I think needs to be heard. 